I miss Django. Wow. And I miss Justin. I even heard him go tweet tweet. What's that? Oh, it's Django. <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> hey, hey, Django. Jeffrey. Roman and I were just about to start recording a podcast, <laughs> and I said, I miss Django, and then my phone started ringing. I heard you. It's, I heard you through space and time. It's all on recording. It's pretty insane. You're, you're recording now? Yeah you're, yeah, you're up to the mic. Like I'm on the radio? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Thanks for dialing in to PAP 117. That was oh, Roman it's... with the Foley. Although you probably didn't hear it because you can't hear the mic headphones that we... Hey, what's up? <laughs> it's sneaky in the fart. Sneaky in the fart. No, no, neither you nor Justin are here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sneaky. Hey, <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just thought I'd call and tell you that I read some comics. Did you really call to do that? Yeah. Why else would I call? I don't I, have anything to say to you people if it doesn't have to do with <laughs> comics. And I, and I hear and get that, but also... Uh, how would you know? We were going to do this tomorrow. I don't know how you knew. Hey, what'd you I read? What'd you like? Things. I got a mole in, in the machine. Dude, I can't get over how weird it is that I we were about to start recording, and then you call. <laughs> That's so strange. I just had a feeling. I had a feeling I should call and tell you how much I love The Lone Ranger. Dude. And and Detective yeah. Comics. Yeah. And Heroes in Crisis. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Oh, yeah. It was so good. And Action Comics. It was all so good. I okay. even read some comics from before. Here's a I question. Read Oliver. You're flying back in two days. Pretty soon. Oh Coming no, right tomorrow. Out. You're flying back tomorrow, I'm right? Back tomorrow, yeah. But yeah, we're not gonna we'll see you late tomorrow night. On t- until Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's amazing what a like a car accident will do to your general functioning and like your day to day life. Oh yeah, you need some hugs and you need me to get your belly, don't you? I need both of those things. Get that get that car wreck out of your out of your brain. Yeah, just off my mental palate would be very good. <laughs> Gosh, Django, I'm excited for you to be back, but I hope that you've had a good and relaxing time. I did. I uh, hope that you had a more relaxing time than your accident would indicate. Will you uh, will you say hi to everybody out in podcast land for me, B- buddy? This is our intro. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I'd been funnier. Uh, oh well, you are about to uh, be the the funniest segue into the least funny episode of this podcast because Roman and I are not exactly uh, comic masterpieces right now. Listen, boys, I wish I had a good joke to tell you to get you in the mood, but I don't. Oh, yeah. Well, life, it's, life is short. Life is sure as dunk is. <laughs> All right, man. We love you. Have a very safe flight home tomorrow, and we're excited to have you back in Washington. I'll see you real soon. See you, bud. Kisses. Acceptable podcast episode one hundred and seventeen, um, where a, you know a v- variety of boys and girls will sit down in a cave designated the Pap Cave um, to talk about the week's comic books that they have picked up and sorted and gotten real excited about and read, and then uh, shared with the people in their store. 
Today, it's just Roman and Jeff, Hi. Uh, which is a pretty good combination of folks, uh, but it's also the probably the first time this has happened. I think so, yeah. So you've done a one just with Django before, right? Oh, I've done a handful with just yeah. Django, yeah. Yeah, that's old hat at this point. That's old dusty hat at this point. <laughs> old dusty hat. Um, but I, given that, I'm Jeff, and I got a car accident this week. Uh, I'm Roman. I I didn't get in any accidents this week, at least not that I prefer. Bathroom accidents still count. No, Roman. damn it! I didn't want to mention that one. You're gonna prolapse. <laughs> um, yeah, and we're gonna talk about a variety of books. I think that we're just gonna try and power through a, a long list of books. And don't worry, we won't. We're not gonna get super super bogged down in talking about Batman for you know a bunch of minutes. Actually, we can't say his name very loud because. We didn't invite him to this podcast. You mean, I don't. You mean you mean the the, bat, the Batman one? Yeah, yeah. We that's, that's uh, not Daredevil. I just said it out loud. There, he's not in a single book in our stack. So uh, don't tell Batman that we're recording a podcast since he is so firm about always making appearances. Um, that being said, we escaped from the uh, the usual flying rodent. Uh, superhero. That fucking guy. <laughs> um, this week we're going to talk about Ice Cream Man, number nine. Unstoppable Wasps, number four. Heroes in Crisis, number five. The Lone Ranger, number four. Star Trek, The Next Generation, IDW, 2020. Num- number one shot. <laughs> Doctor Strange, issue number 400 legacy numbers, or 10 by the, the current <laughs> one, if you like that. <clears throat> and Action Comics, number 1007. Marvel Knights, number six. Age of X-Men Alpha, number one. And we're going to end it with a a really nice ending in the form of Exiles, number 12. Roman, this used to be just just you and I that worked in this place. Yes. Yes, in the the glory days? I don't know. You can say the good old days. (laughs) The good old days. (laughs) They were certainly different days. Yes. The two Um, of us and uh, how do we do that? It was just always the two of us. Yeah, we're just always the two of us. We were open two less days a week. I think we All were right. closed Sunday, yeah. Monday, and we were closed Tuesday, but we worked to sort the books. Right. But then we'd usually get done and go home and read comics or yeah. go wherever and read comics, like around 1 o'clock or something. An awesome story to everybody. I um, had only been working at the shop for like three weeks. Well, actually, uh, I got hired right before Roman took a full month off to go to Europe with his mom. I went abroad. I went. For, I went for a... Continental holiday. So, um, or not continental. Shout out Chris Clow. Yeah. <laughs> My first uh, month on the job was just Chris and I working. So Chris sort of trained me up. And then you got back and Chris moved away. He was his sort yeah. of his final month was my first month. And I was, I had been working for like about a week after Roman had gotten back and we were just talking. And it came up through conversation uh, that we, I had never seen Star Trek Wrath of Khan. And he was like, that's, no, that's not it. Pull up a chair. And we, like, got on Netflix and watched the entirety of Wrath of Khan on shift. And I don't think anyone came in the whole time. God, really? Yeah. I mean, that was that that shop in those days. And I remember being like, man, should I not be here? Because, like, Roman's here and it's really slow. Or, like, should Roman not be here? Should I encourage Roman to leave? And now, like, you know, five or six years later or whatever it's been, I, I look back at it and I'm just like, yeah, you and I just don't leave. Like, we just don't <laughs> no. ever care. about. And Django, we also – we just hired other people that don't leave. So Django is the king of just not leaving here. Yeah. Yeah, yesterday I 
worked and I closed in the evening, but in the morning, after I had a meeting in the morning, I came by here and like hung out for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're working with purpose, uh, it doesn't ever feel much like work. But it was a really hard thing for me to grasp going from Barnes and Noble, where like your clock in time was like down to a minute, you know, on or off, um, to to then working where Roman just like was just there. He was just gonna probably be there, just working. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it like, yeah, and if you need to drive to go get lunch, and that takes forty minutes, and then we just hang out and eat lunch. Like that's gonna be a part of your paid day. <laughs> Gosh, what a surreal life we live. That was really hard for me to get my mind around at first. Yeah. Yeah, I've never had a – and the owner then, I've never had a had a boss like that. He's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, read the comics. Hang yeah, out. Yeah. Read comics. Watch Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Art. Man, we should do a History of the Comics Place podcast and get Chris on or something at some point. And oh, Neil. Fun. But, yeah, Art was yeah. one of the coolest guys you ever did meet. Um, and if that wasn't indicative enough of the tone for this night's podcast, uh, get ready. Strap yourself in. I'm sipping on a nice cup of hot cocoa. Hot cocoa? Asked, asked for it extra hot, I did. Did, did you ask for uh, maybe some extra spoilers? Mm, I didn't. I didn't because I knew that we were going to have plenty of them here. Mm. Great job. Spoiler warning, folks. We are going to be spoiling the books. We're going to be talking about them. I don't think we'll probably spoil anything too heavy in here. So don't don't worry anything about that unless you're really nervous about uh, the possible or or not possible mental diagnosis of the unstoppable wasps, you know, because we're going to spoil that for you. Yeah. But before that, we're going to start with Ice Cream Man number nine. I noticed you had a nice segue for that with that cool gesture or comment. Cool? What? I don't know. You said something was cool. and Ice cream is cold. Okay, yeah, I didn't mean yeah. that. Oh, you Man. Did? oh, I thought you meant that. You no. meant that. You totally meant that. He meant that. Oh, Roman, you have always had my best interest at heart. This is written by W. Maxwell Prance with art by Martin Morazzo. Uh, we've been talking about this book forever at this point, but <laughs> dang it if we don't absolutely love it. Oh, it's so good. I would, I would say this is my one of my two favorite issues of the series. Hmm. I would say the Neapolitan yeah. issue... With the three lifestyles oh, yeah. that were like basically silent, and then this issue. And uh, Justin said that he knew he was excited to read this book because he walked into the bathroom at the shop after hours, and you were back there using the poop machine. <laughs> and as he walked in, you went, Justin, you're gonna like this issue of Ice Cream Man. And he he knew from the get go that it was gonna be a very cool one. <laughs> A spooky voice coming from the stall. <laughs> Roman, are you still here? <laughs> but my question is, how did you enjoy this book so much with these giant fucking spiders? It, it was a challenge. That was that was hard. Um, it's a very good issue. They, the Ice Cream Man and his other, uh, his opposite, they're in the realm. Apparently some other realm that's kind of the American West, but not because there's these – giant spiders, which it turned out the one they run into right away is, is a baby, apparently. Yeah, I love that he says that. Oh, and it was just creepy, especially because the spider at one point, uh, the the good guy, I don't know his name. The he's, cowboy. He's the man in black, the cowboy. Um, he lassos the spider and the spider screams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all like, ee! Yeah. It's like, oh, God, that's a, that's a, uh, let's turn the page. Do spiders really scream? I wonder if you light I don't them on know. fire. I don't want to think about it. Don't lobsters or shrimps or something scream? I've heard that that's true. They probably do. Oh. At some some residents that we can't hear. Yeah, I think no, I think lobsters you can hear. Really? Yeah. <laughs> or crabs or something. Wow. Um, best Thanksgiving dinner I ever, I ever had was Dungeness crab. I felt guilty the whole time. Because you were eating crabs, or because you weren't eating toiki? 
No, I don't care about turkey. No, because I felt because we were eating crabs and you know they were preparing them the way you're supposed to, I guess, quote unquote, and, you know, alive and dumping them in the boiling water. Wow. Yeah. Do you not normally eat crab? But God, they're tasty. They are. I don't. Not normally. But Dungeness crab is so good. What about that Ivers that I know you like so much? I haven't had the crab there, though. I do want to try their. They have a. They have a um, Dungeness crab mac and cheese. We got to go to that restaurant. Um, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> this issue was really interesting because it was the first one that really gave us much of an insight into who the ice cream man and the man in black are and what they are. Yeah. Yeah. It was more of a fantasy element to it than because all along I've, I and I assume other readers have been thinking that they're both kind of metaphors, psychological metaphors, horror psychological metaphors, and, and they are, but they're also actually from this other realm. And I sort of thought of them as like forces of nature or universal constants, and, and they sort of are here. We This place that we're introduced to is this old west, and it says, you know, so long ago there weren't even numbers, um, but it also is very much like the west of our, our world back in the day. And we're following the man in black, and he hunts down this giant spider with his amazing dog, and he's like, man, this is just a baby, and then he heads back to go see the old man. When he gets to the old man, he realizes that it's his uncle. Um, and he's talking to his uncle who is sort of very wise and he's sort of been saying that this is the end times of this world and, and a new one will be beginning and we need to wait because your cousin needs to show up. Mm. So I was trying to plot down the family lineage of these this place. So we've got the man in black and his cousin is the ice cream, ice cream man, man and this man is their uncle and he's the uncle of both of them, which means that there are three brothers. There's this man that we know, and then there are the two fathers that each of these guys have that are also brothers. Oh, yeah. So there's a trio of brothers. And then he mentions he mentions your mother to either the man in black or to both of them. I think he mentions to both. I think maybe it's, he mentions Ice Cream Man first. Which is interesting because, like, then there's maybe one woman between these two men who have brought about these different children who are sort of mm. universal opposites. And um, he basically says, you know, the, you guys need to go exist in this new reality uh, that's going to be existing. And, and they're like, well, we don't really want to leave this one. He's like, well, you got to. And then the, the man in black takes off and the old guy says, I need you to hang out here for a second. Ice cream man who actually has a name in this. And we go have this really serene, beautiful moment with the man in black and this dog. And it's kind of a, a vague metaphorical thing. And then the dog takes off in the morning. And uh, we see then the ice cream man walking back covered in blood. And he's used the dog's skin as a coat, which was the first time I hated the ice cream man. <laughs> he's been this creepy force the whole time. Yeah. But this was the first time that he was, like, evil or bad. Um, and he... We then, and this is one of the moment I was like, I bet this is where Roman was at when Justin came in the bathroom because <laughs> the man of black is running back to the old man's house because he mentions, the, the ice cream man mentions something about the old man and an enormous, terrifying spider has just killed the ice, or the old man. And dude, that really creeped me out. Mm -hmm. The spider. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's nightmares incarnate because, I mean, it's got the old man impaled and just flailing around on one of its legs and it's like oh god and just the way he can draw the the spider at such a large scale and he just so perfectly does the creepy legs and the gross weight distribution of a spider um and uh i'm not even liking talking about this yeah yeah uh so anyway um and the ice cream man says like i'm doing what the old man told me to i'm kicking up dust and 
the ice cream man buries the old man and he's it's you know says the end of the road and we, we can feel that they're you know it is the end of this era and they're moving on to the next earth or next world or next reality to exist in which is either ours or one that happened between that old one and, and ours but it just like filled me with a really amazing like the the narration the whole time um, the first half of the issue uses a bunch of text, and then throughout the second half of the issue, it's much of the same text, but in different orders. And it's like a weird, it even felt sort of like Eastern or meditational to me because it was the same words and same uh, statements being made, but the context around them was different. And so they all had this different weight to them. I mean, did you notice that? that basically, the second half of the book is the same text as the first half. And yeah. I just thought that was really uh, an interesting peaceful, I don't know, there was something, you know, it was sort of almost like, you know, if a tree falls in the woods, somebody hear it, like, it just felt like that type of exercise to me. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many layers to this one. Um, there's that and the fact that I, you know, this is sometime at some point in the past, we don't know how, an incredibly long time ago, um, and the fact that they're in this realm that's the American West archetype. Their, their Western archetypes. It's like, wow, what is all this going to end up meaning? Yeah. And yeah, I'm really curious uh, if they go directly from this realm into our reality. And then, but it's still at some point in the past because it looks like the next issue blurb is still at some point back in the... Saloon days. Yeah, yeah. An old mall shop. Clothes and, and this woman's outfit. looks like She looks kind of like a Frida Kahlo painting, kind of. Yeah, I was – I don't know. I'm just so impressed with this series. It it went from being kind of like the Twilight Zone, Black Mirror type one-shots with this dark undercurrent commonality character. And in the best possible way, it has continued and just seeded these larger questions that it is slowly answering and building upon that I, after reading those first four issues, I would have never thought that this story would be as sort of – out there and meta and about the universe and reincarnation and that book of the rules that he's got it looks to have uh, Alistair Crowley's the telemetry symbol for the religion that he made up is it's it's vaguely the Alistair Crowley like six pointed star there's one particular oh. shot of it yeah um, well, there's a little yeah. bit there there oh oh um, yeah it's just uh, so there's just He's he's dealing, and you know this undercurrent of everything is one thing is what he keeps saying in this issue, and there's there's some really beautiful stuff in it in this very gross, depressing wrapping, and the art is beautiful. It's just, I, I I would give this issue a ten. I loved it. Yeah, I would also I would also give it a ten because this, like you said, there's this is so much more. Because when the series started, we all thought Ice Cream Man was just going to be. The spooky narrator of this anthology of yeah, kind of like the Twilight Zone guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his name? Um, from the series, yeah. the show, Rod Serling. Rod Serling. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's so much deeper than that. And the fact, oh, and the fact that his brother, whose name the cowboy, his had a familiar, his wolf. I think that's a wolf. Yeah. Um, but how come the ice cream man doesn't? Well, he creates them. He's like the spiders. Like oh, that's he, you know, right. He's and sort he, of he, making he's all of like these things. He's like a shapeshifter too. We don't – we didn't see that from the cowboy. Yeah. There's some very like biblical stuff to this yeah. that, without being overtly biblical at all. Um, yeah. What do you give it? A 10. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, high five. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, yeah. I, I can't recommend to people enough that they should try this book. It's 
otherworldly and just amazing and uh, so promising. And I don't think we get comic series like this so much anymore that that have enough time to slowly become what they're supposed to be. It seems like so much of the comic industry nowadays is rooted in, you know, you can tell how long a series is going to live by the first three sales figures of issues, whereas this one is slowly built in... I can't imagine that it was originally going to be 12 issues, and it might be 16, it might be 24. I have no idea how long this thing is going to be. That was going to be my next question because, yeah, I, I assumed it was going to be a limited series when it started. But yeah. it seems to just be going on. Yeah, I'm really pumped about it. Roman, you got me to read The Unstoppable Wasp number four this week. I did. I love this series. Um, and I love the, the previous Unstoppable Wasp series. It's a very positive series. It's about um, the daughter of... Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man, and his first wife, um, who was, geez, killed in his very first appearance back in the 60s. Um, okay, so this, and that was a, I sort of want to have you explain a lot of the context around this issue for me, because I really enjoyed this issue, but I didn't know anything about any of the characters or any of the subject matter going into it. Mm. Um, she's hanging out with Janet Van Dyne. Yeah. Um, Who is that? <clears throat> that's the original, the, excuse me, that's the original Wasp, Hank okay. Pym's second wife. Okay. The Wasp that was in the Avengers. And it's not movie. this girl's mother, though. No. Okay. No. Um, not even her stepmom, technically, because her and Hank got divorced. Okay. Um, but she's kind of taken, she gave, She let Nadia, the main character, Nadia Van Dyne, or geez, Nadia Pym, uh, take her name and be the second Wasp. Um, and for a while, Wasp 2 was in the Avengers recently. Um, she was, I think it was the Red Room, was the same Soviet secret thing that, yeah, trained the Black Widow. Nadia was also in the Red Room, but <clears throat> she's a genius. So she was, they just enlist. they just made her work on you know, mathematical problems and scientific stuff and everything. But she was also trained to fight and everything, but she was never put out in the field that way. And finally she escaped, came to America to find her dad. Uh, and that's how she got met the original wasp, Janet, and became friends with her because Hank Pym is, he's dead or he's been absorbed into Ultron or something. Yeah. Um, so she got with the Avengers and the Wasp, and Jarvis kind of has takes care of her. Jarvis and the original Wasp, and uh, Nadia has formed. Uh, does it say in here? I want to get it right. She's formed a um, think tank, basically called. It's an acronym. Acronym is Girl, and I can't. I was hoping this would say. Does it say in the back? I think it might say in the back in the write up. Agents of Girl. Um, Oh, anyway, it it's an acronym. Say, yeah, it's an acronym, and it's dance or something. But anyway, Nadia got found other people. One's also an escapee from the Red Room that she knew there, and other genius young women around the Marvel universe to enlist them, and they all have their specialties and into her lab to just come up with ideas um, to 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 make the world a better place. And basically, that's what that's what they do. Um, it's very positive. It's very, it's very scientific. This writer, Jeremy Whitley, I'm not familiar with him, mm -hmm. but he obviously does his research in the sciences. Uh, in the previous issue... There um, was a big battle. Yeah. There was a big battle with AIM and everything. There was some... Uh, one of her friends was injured and exposed to a mysterious gas, and that's how this starts off with the, uh, the aftermath of that. And 
we basically just see this team of people that I wasn't real familiar with and they're all sort of dealing with who's hurt and who needs to be rescued and going to the doctor and all this stuff. And in, uh, in doing that, they realize that um, – what is the name of – Nadia? Nadia. Nadia has sort of disappeared and, and we spend a lot of the issue with her and she's basically just kind of running on this post-battle high where she's trying to solve all these problems. Uh, and – and in doing that, uh, she's sort of creating this list that's getting bigger and bigger. And we see other people like Janet Van Dyne, like they make her uh, take a nap. Other people are exhausted. But uh, Nadia is just working hard trying to solve all these things. And she's talking real fast and talking to herself. And she's, you know, sort of jumping from thing to thing and not finishing a lot of stuff. Yeah, and she's trying to fix like everything. And spiraling, you know, thinking, oh, well, if we had done this, if we do this. And I like this device where they – she has a chalkboard and every time we see the chalkboard, she's added more more um, ABC b- below like point one, point two, and each yeah. person that what, – what problem do they have? What do they need help with? And it just keeps expanding and expanding. Yeah, it's – it's really and impressive. Speaking, speaking of expanding, yeah. to use kind of a reverse joke, I love the fact that she has this miniature lab that uh, she shrinks down into because it's going to be more efficient to go microcosmic and work in this lab because relative to regular to time in our in our quote unquote universe, she can get more done there because time will pass and slower I was, there. <laughs> it makes sense. I was thinking about it in terms of like waveforms or like music notes, which are sine waves that move like that, and and when you speed something up or when you get higher in note like they they condense and there's more waveforms in a small period of time or a sound has is, is much more intense condensed waveforms um that that sort of made sense to me the idea of like taking a fixed amount of uh you know like positron emissions or or wavelengths or you know existence shrunk down means that more would be happening in a smaller chunk of time or space so you could reason that like time would move quicker there and I thought that was a really interesting uh, intelligent but logical way of making sense of that yeah yeah me too because I never I that wouldn't have occurred to me (laughs) but the big thing in this one is that basically they mentioned that Hank Pym was bipolar and I think that is that something that has been previously discussed Maybe I think it's pretty recent that they they started describing him that way, and I don't know where it was first mentioned, but it must be pretty recent because before they were always you know he had the reason him and the original Watt got divorced is you know he hit her at least once in the comics and it was implied other times, mm-hmm. um, but it was never explained other than just you know he had a temper or, you know uh, emotional ups and downs, and and I guess. As we're sort of spending time with her, we're sorting – there's a weird feeling that maybe things aren't super right and she's just not sleeping and everyone's looking for her and worried and she's finishing, starting all these things she can't finish and having all these fanciful flights of thought. And basically the implication is that she is also bipolar and she's been going having a manic episode in this issue. And I thought that was pretty rad and I yeah. think that it did a good job – of introducing the concept of a manic episode in a heartfelt way that wasn't super deep and didn't necessarily get at a lot of the implications. Mm-hmm. And it it does, yeah, it paints it as a sort of negative thing, which it is, 
because you you, you want to regulate and uh, oftentimes in manic episodes there's a safety and caution thrown to the wind but it was I, I think it's a really implica- interesting implication to have uh, a young superhero deal with that and just to get that sort of uh, idea out into the popular culture I think that a manic episode is and and they even bring up the like yeah and the other side of it is a depressive episode like bipolar is, is rapid not necessarily rapid but cycling between two extreme emotional poles uh, yeah I don't I, I liked I liked that but yeah I really did too because I didn't um, until Janet, the original Wasp, I think she says to Mockingbird, Mockingbird also hangs out with them kind of as the uh, kind of the security – well, not security. It's kind of a mentor, mm-hmm. her and Janet being the older Avengers. Um, and Janet I think describes to the rest of them, well, I'm worried because this is like Hank's behavior. You know, she's not taking care of herself. She's all over the place trying to do all this stuff. They talk to the oh, the security they have in the lab, which is uh, pound cakes, and I forget the other one was named. They're, yeah, they're two women that used to be part of the um, Serpent Society, and they yeah. were wrestlers. They know the thing, which is how they met these people. Yeah. Um, and they tell them because they've been monitoring her. They're like, yeah, she hasn't slept. She she's not eating. You know, she's and they have cameras in the lab, so they're like, she's trying to do all this stuff, trying to solve all this stuff, but. She's not actually finishing hardly anything. And there's no self-care going on. Yeah. She hasn't slept in days at this point. Yeah, and, and just and just like you said, you know, the the manic all over the place and trying to, you know, trying to do good stuff except for herself. Um, and Janet describes that and how she's worried that it's it's a manic episode. It's like, oh, wow, that's deeper. And it doesn't get super deep, like you said, but it's it's deeper than I expected from from an intelligent, but for the most part, pretty fun comic that hasn't de- dealt with real serious issues. And I think it's a really fun comic. I yeah. hadn't read any of this, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, it it it's it just felt good, and, you know. And it's a team of all these girls, but it doesn't feel heavy-handed, and it doesn't feel like, hey, we have this agenda that we're trying to get across. And I guess I'm always really wary of of agendas in yeah. general. I, I like a fiction to stand on its own and not be an agenda but they also like it's just all of them are sort of it's a beautiful array of different ethnicities as well and and that again is also not heavy handed and they're all brilliant it's it's just a really forward thinking progressive book I can't stress enough that I I really think more people would like this book and it's had uh, criminally low sales numbers but it is it is very good and it's very fun and it's interesting and it's got lots of hooks in it. And, uh, I, I I categorize these books as sort of like young adult books and I don't mean that disparagingly at all. But this and this is one of the ones I've liked more of that category of books. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, and yeah, there's nothing at all disparaging that because you know I'm loving this book. I'm 50, but I would love it. You know, if younger folks are reading this because the. Um, even that sounds old, doesn't it? Younger folks. <laughs> um, but uh, the main, the characters, they're just such positive, positive folks and them trying to get along. I mean, there's her friend who also escaped from the Red Room, but after Nadia did, Nadia is trying to help her adjust to being out in the world, living in America, um, not ba- you know living as a captive basically as, as being trained to be an assassin. Um, and there's lots of moments, just nice little warm moments and funny moments where Nadia's like, yeah, you don't have to react that way in the real world. And it all feels very real. It's not heavy handed. 
the relationships between the people. Um, two of the women are starting a relationship, and it just all feels very natural. Which two? I didn't even pick up on any um, any remote. They don't really mention stuff. it in in this issue. It's uh, well, and what I I guess what I really liked also is at the end is. Uh, in a manic episode, it can be, people can tend, have a tendency to not feel safe around somebody manic episode because they're not worried too much about themselves. They're certainly not worried about the people around them, and, and they're, there's you know not a lot of caution in there. There's a selfishness to it, and Nadia is trying to like get back to her shit, and everybody is in her way. And I just loved the friend that you know has super strength or whatever, and Nadia tries to grab her, and she just like punches her in the face, and. I'm just dropping into this issue out of nowhere, and I was invested enough through one issue that I felt like, oh, wow. Like, Nadia, you're in the wrong. Also, like, what is going to be the fallout (laughs) of this, or how ready was this girl to hit her, and what is – it it, it hooked me, you know? Yeah, and that was the perfect way to do that because the girl who hits her is her friend that was also in the Red Room and has the same training Nadia does, except even more because she wasn't being trained to be a scientist. She was being trained to be a fighter. To be an assassin like the Black Widow. And the next issue is called Inheritance. So I'm, I'm definitely going to read the next one because oh, I really like yeah. this idea of, you know, not yeah. mental disorder isn't always inherited uh, and not no. even disorder. But it's – I really like that pretty dark issue. Like the Hank Pym abuse story is something that has colored that character since it happened. You can't yeah. undo that. So I really like patch, packaging that story into a young girl and seeing how they're going to play out with it. I think that it's really interesting, and I I really think this is a good and positive book. And I, I'm not going to necessarily go and read the issues I haven't read, but I'm I'm on for this arc. And so I, I would give it an 8. Hmm. Cool. I really like that too because making that incidence where when, where when Hank hit the original Wasp back in that issue of Avengers, it was actually – a miscommunication between the writer and the artist. Oh, really? Yeah, because the writer had, I think, according to the interview I read, the writer had said that, written something like, oh, Hank, like, pushes Jan out of the way or something. And for whatever reasons, the artist misunderstood or whatever, he drew it as as Hank punches her. <laughs> How old were you when then, you read that? Jeez. Oh, uh, like, did you read it when it came out? Yeah, I just don't remember. Sometime in the... 80s? I was, Do you remember I was your, probably in high school. Do you remember your thoughts about it? I was shocked. I was like, because up until that, you know, Hank Pym had been a regular superhero. He had some weird personality stuff sometimes because like when he became Yellow Jacket in the 60s, that was weird because all of a sudden he, we didn't know this at the time, but he like had an episode or something and when he became Yellow Jacket, it was a big shock when he pulled off his mask and said, oh, I'm Hank Pym. Because Yellow Jacket was arrogant and he was aggressive and, you know, all these things that Hank Pym isn't normally at that point. Um, and everybody's like, wow, Hank, what happened? Why are you so, like, like, just aggressive and like, da-da, I'm here <laughs> and all this stuff. And then, and then Wasp marries him when he's the Yellow Jacket, uh, I don't want to say persona because it's not – the multiple yeah, personality thing. It's mood yeah. array. You yeah. Know, mood she finally range. decides to marry him because he's finally like aggressive enough where he's like, marry me. Let's get married. <laughs> and it's interesting just like a lot of mania can also, often be typicized. Uh, it, it can oftentimes be representative of a lot of positive behaviors like being productive, being confident, you know, being adventurous and all, and all of that. And it's just taken a little bit too far. So I think this does a yeah. good job of sort of understanding. So what do you give it? Yeah, and later on with Yellow Jacket, they 
started to explore that a little more where when he was Yellow Jacket was when he was a little more like, well, that's when he hit her. Yeah. That's when he created a robot to fight the Avengers that only he could stop so he could impress them yeah. <laughs> and Jan. I would give, jeez, I'd, I'd give it a nine. Oh. I really like this series. So far, I'd probably give most almost every issue of the series a nine, really. Nice. Wasp, people should check it out. What they should also check out, um, anybody listening to this has probably already checked it out or, or whatnot, but uh, we got to talk for a second about Heroes in Crisis number five by Tom King, Clay Mann, and uh, the colors are done by Moray, and there's no first name in this issue because it's all word puns. Moray Eel? Ooh, that's Moray. Word puns? Wait, no word puns? No, nah, I mean not word puns, but like... King, man, quote, that's amore, more cowls. It's in, written in a oh, geez. It's written in a pizza box. So, I, did, I didn't even read that in the pizza box. Damn it. Oh, <laughs> that was a good page. Um, everyone knows what's going on in this. I mean, we're not going to do anything. We're also, I think we'll probably not mention the big spoiler in this one. But this is just issue five of nine of Heroes in Crisis. And it's, you know, probably my favorite ongoing book at this point. The art is always gorgeous. It's a really big mystery. And most, like, this one dealt with Superman giving the speech that he needs to give and the fallout of the fact that in the last issue, Lois Lane leaked out to the public that there is a sanctuary, you know, and that there was a murder there and they don't know what's going on. And all of the superheroes' confidential statements that they gave to these robots are being played for people. And it's sort of a response to, like, how do superheroes stay superheroes when we can perceive that they have faults and if they have faults does that mean that they aren't superheroes or shouldn't be and I think that that conversation is an interesting one and I think that Tom King is really good at that subject matter and he addresses that issue in a really really interesting way yeah this issue with Superman's speech in the previous issues I was, I was thinking geez Lois how could you uh betray Superman and the superhero community to say, you shouldn't do this story. And she did this story so we could have this issue and have Superman's speech about, you know, saying to people, you know, we're, the best way we can serve you is if we have a resource where we can also, where we can deal with our traumas and and our faults and and even the idea that, well, you know, just because we have emotional action, you know, emotional reactions and and traumas like anybody. That's not a fault, I and mean, that shouldn't be seen as a fault. Um, and that's a very valuable thing to address, and it hasn't been addressed very often with superheroes. Maybe hardly ever. No, I mean, I think that it, it you know, it's related to. And we've probably talked about it before, but I, you know, I think that there's a bit of a cultural stigma about therapy. Yeah. And you and I are big therapy fans. We yep. have the same therapist <laughs> even. But I remember, you know, our awesome, awesome previous store owner who passed away. I remember one time me talking about therapy and him being like, you like, you like that? You do that? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, I need to do it. And he's like, why don't you just like handle your shit? And he didn't mean it in like a critical way. No, he, no. he was just like, it was genu- genuinely asking like, why don't you just handle it? And like that, you know, that's how I handle it is I, I talk about stuff too much. That's why I love this podcast. But it, you know, I, I think that there's a bit of a stigma and I think yeah, battling a, that yeah, is important. Very much that idea that, and, 
and and, and he and he had it not to a fault or anything, but that uh, yeah, you just handle your shit. You know, you internalize it and you know go go out and chop a quart of wood or something <laughs> and don't talk about it. And and yeah, that's chopping wood is great, but you got to talk about stuff and work through stuff. <laughs> And then, so that's in here, which, you know, we love because we've talked a lot about it. Um, But there's also a really big lead in this issue about the mystery Mm. of who did what in Sanctuary. And I don't want to spoil anything. And we've, you know, like I said, talked a lot about this issue or this series so far. So uh, if if you are somebody who has been waiting for this series to pick up and have a direction, I understand that. I kind of love it. And I could hang out in the gray, slow space of this conversation for another 12 issues. But this one does give us a slight indicator of like, okay, here's something that doesn't make sense and Ooh, what is it um <laughs> have you you, well, you I, read I read it, it. I, I still remember well <laughs> there's something up with wally west there's something up with wally west's body oh right okay. and the right, science right. that they create to address that right, is okay. really uh r- fantastic and interesting and it's just minuscule enough that it's like okay something doesn't add up here but it doesn't make sense why it doesn't add up and it's just a great mystery and it's you know, we've been trying to figure out the direction of this stuff, and now we've got a direction. Yeah, I, I, I had forgotten about that because it's oh, so I love the fact they brought in the protector. Yeah, he was in that one shot with Teen Titans, like just say no to drugs. In the sure, <laughs> and he he's always like I I always say just say no to drugs until I got caught up in them, and he has this amazing ability in this whole series. You'll have one character will just get nine panels just on a single page of them yeah. talking to these robots that are whatever they want to see at that time. And you get so much implication and characterization out of a single page. Yeah, yeah. It's so impressive. Like when I read this page with uh, Steel, Commander Steel, who's been a member of the Justice League and sure. things like that. Um, and you don't – and I never thought about this before because he's just talking about his trauma, which is that he's died and been resurrected many times. Yeah. And just talking about the fact that now he's just kind of expecting the next death and it's really depressing for him because he knows it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. He has no doubt about that. But he knows that it will happen and he'll get resurrected and it will happen again. And think about how incapac- incapac- incapacitating that would be. <laughs> yeah. It uh... – you know, I, I give this issue a 10. I, I, I love it. It's yeah. beautiful in the art. It's beautiful in the storytelling. It's a great mystery. The character work is amazing. I've, I've given more than one of these issues a 10. Um, but one thing that I think is really remarkable about this is, you know, there's this sort of uh, dichotomy of like the Frank Millers and Alan Moores. And then there's the Grant Morrisons who sort of try to tell these same stories, but I'll emphasize the light and the impossibility and the wonderful fiction of it where Moore and Miller sort of like – take these ideas and pull them down into the dirt and let us see them and deconstruct them as people. And this one is just such an amazing marriage of the two. Mm. It never feels dark for dark's sake, Mm -mm. but there's these very human moments and no one's getting stabbed or raped or, you know, like it's, it's not this horrible stuff, but there's just these moments where a single person will get to talk for a single page and there's so much implication about the hardship of every single person's journey and the hardship of a superhero's journey as well. And it's just, it's the perfect, you're walking this line of the light and the dark. And I, I can't stress how impressed with that I am. Yeah. I would also, I would also give this a 10 and the art too needs to be mentioned because on those nine panel pages, when we've interviewed some of you, you're just seeing nine panels, like you're the camera focused on the, this person talking 
And just the body language, I mean, the subtle, like, you know, eyes looking to the side or eyes closed or the head turns when, when there's certain emotions or whatever come up for the person and the way they look away from the camera, it's all just, uh, I hate the term spot on, but it's all just spot on. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I think Tom King writes better pregnant pauses than anybody. Yeah. And this artist is doing so much with slight facial work and body language that it's it's amazing. Yeah. I won't spoil it, but there's a page with Harley in here when she's being interviewed, and it's just like, oh, oh it's God. <laughs> yeah, and Justin had a statement, and it ties into J- Django's comment about the last one. We're sort of talking about the way women are represented in this book and how they're talked about. And, you know, Justin had said that he sort of t- thinks that this book is, I don't necessarily think the whole book is, but it, I think a portion of it is uh, the conversation of, of what role women play in comics and and what historically men do to women. And it's it's very... Very good, and it's an important conversation, and uh, yeah, I just love it, love it, love it. Take me to the West, my boy. Well, just like the cowboy and and the and the, and the steed ice ice cream man going to the. I'm trying to come up with a segue, and I, I love I it. I don't have one. Oh man, um, it sounded like you had a direction. That was impressive. I had, a, I, I had some kind of direction. West. Hi, hi, to the west. <laughs> Lone Ranger number four by Mark Russell, our buddy Mark Russell, and Bob Q. He was a fantastic <laughs> artist in spite of me having never heard of them. Yeah, I haven't heard of them either. I, I was going to say the same thing about the first book. we Oh, um, James Whitley. Guru Hiru? Jeremy Whitley on The Wasp. I don't uh, know what else he's done. but Written? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lone Ranger number four, the, the, the land wars that the Ranger and Tonto were trying to deal with. Um, I'm trying to refresh my memory on this one. This is one of the first books I read on Tuesday. And well, I just read this one that today. That was forever ago. <laughs> so this is basically the sort of uh, almost climactic battle of that can- evil cannibal that they the the farm landowners or quote unquote landowners. Yeah, have, the, the dandy guy they hired. Yeah, has they he's a cannibal to you know hunt and kill whoever's responsible for doing this stuff, and he's very easily able to discern that it was Tonto and the Lone Ranger without many context cues, and uh, he sends some people out to hunt uh, the Lone Ranger, and he himself goes to the bar and ends up at a table with Tonto, and they're sharing a drink, and there is an amazing several pages of dialogue uh, in which the dandy, the evil dandy says, you know, I have sympathy for what's been done to your people, and Tonto's response to that of just sort of... uh, what sympathy is, and it's sort of a, a made-up excuse or representation of the guilt mm. that white man has uh, for, you know, f- fucking the Native Americans over so horribly. And he, he says, like, yeah, you had such sympathy for us that you had to move us out of your sight and put us in these camps. And uh, it's just this – and I was – in that moment, I was just like, wow, I didn't ever process, like, the, that type of atrocity – from that viewpoint, it's, you know, I viewed it as just sort of like white people wanted to steal this land and just sort of push these people aside. But like the idea of them needing to push them aside because they couldn't handle their guilt, which was mm. so profound, just like seeing, you know, the, the people whose land and lives that they had stolen caused them heartache. So they would just sort of send them away it was just this like really pitiful, callous thing in it. Yeah, painted, painted. I think more accurately at that time period uh, than I was able to understand it. Yeah, yeah. And the fact Tano's saying that line about 
your sympathy is merely, merely an apology for a crime still being committed mm-hmm. and him, Tano, having that awareness and, and in some ways speaking for, for other natives at that time. Um, and then also that the dandy, forget his name, but the dandy talking about, well, when he was a kid, his dad was a uh, riverboat captain or no, a more like riverboat. Sea captain, sea yeah, captain. yeah. Um, and when they'd ferry and the dichotomy between because they'd ferry people across across the ocean and people with money and stuff going to Europe for vacations, whatever, going going to Britain. And on the way back, they would bring goods, including at the time, slaves, and just this kid being raised in that high society and everything, which where, where he gets his dandy manners and everything, but also dealing in, in the slave trade and everything. Yeah, and they were put in this camp. There was a starvation camp, and that's where he learned to be a cannibal because everybody oh. there was a survivor, and like that was a, yeah, oof. yeah. The fact they brought up uh, Camp Douglas, which which during the Civil War, a military prison, which was you know right. I forget what stated, and right here in America, it was uh, <laughs> atrocities happened there. So it's it's much more multi-leveled than I expected from a Lone Ranger comic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's been the story of this series so far, and everyone that's been reading it loves it, and people keep jumping on, which is wonderful to see. This was the least funny issue, mm-hmm. but probably my favorite of the series so far. That scene where, like, Tonto, like, shoots him and is leaving, and the bar's blowing up behind him is one of the most badass shots. <laughs> like, that's an empowering shot. Yeah, when Tonto and the dandy start fighting finally... And just the the way, because like the dandy, there's earlier they showed a, there's a, you know, one of those old west decorations. There's a pickled snake, rattlesnake, in a jar on the, yeah. on the bar. And at one point, the dandy at some point grabs that and tries to choke Tonto with it from behind. And it's just and you'd forgotten that snake was even around. So I'd have no exposure to the Lone Ranger before this. Is Tonto always like the way more capable person, or is that like Green Hornet and Kato's relationship? Um. Green Hornet and Kato, I, I think, I guess you could say in, in postmodernism, yes. Originally, no, for either one. But um, I don't know when, but probably, the first time I saw it was in a Joe Lansdale, I think, Lone Ranger series from the 90s. Folks, you where, can't see it, but uh, he just did that classic Roman thing where he sort of wonders for a second and pulls a name out that you've never heard and looks at you like you're going to confirm or deny that information. Like, I have any fucking idea who Joe Lansdale is. You know, is. Joe R. Lansdale, the Western oh, yeah. horror writer that's oh, also done yeah. comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Jangle's a big fan. Um, he's that kind of writer. Oh, <laughs> dust. Um, dust yeah. and farts. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah exactly. Okay. Um, that's the first time I saw it where Tonto was actually the <clears throat> the more intelligent, strategic one. I really like it. And they did that with Kato too in another one of those series with the Green Hornet. The, the Lone Ranger nowadays, he, I mean, he's he's smart. He's just not as smart as Tano. And whereas Britt Reed, the Green Hornet, was he's just kind of a doofus. Okay. <laughs> but I really like at the end here, basically, we see, without getting to see it, we see Tonto and the uh, Lone Ranger in coffins and they're bloody and it's like, we got him! And like they send the cannibal out. He's like, you got him? I didn't even finish tracking him. He's like, yeah, we just found him dead. And he's like, all right, well, I'll take my payment. And they're like, yeah, we already buried him and everything. I'll take my payment. And then the payments disappeared. And we realize those two are fake and dead. And they somehow got out of it. And they got all this money also. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's wild. And I can't, I have no idea how they did it. Mm -mm. (laughs) To be continued.
Mm, mm. Such a good series. I'll give I'll give this one an eight, eight and a half. Yeah, I go eight and a half, nine. It's it's good. It's really, really good. I can't wait for this series to be over. I think there's just one issue left. I, I want it to keep going, but I also like that Mark Russell's just been making these five or six issue minis. Just bam, yeah. bam. Yeah. Putting his voice in all these different places. And the John Cassidy covers, I I just realized this one, the Rangers standing there with the silhouette of the state of Texas behind him. And Texas is made up of all, I just realized it's all little barbed wire knots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. Uh, everyone everyone should check that book out. Roman, tell me about Doctor Strange 400. I haven't been reading this Mark Wade series at all. Um, and it's partially because he's wearing a weird space suit in it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the, the weird suit. Though I, it, I realized this issue. I was like, oh, the front of his suit is Kind of a stylized mm-hmm. axe, and the backs is the back is kind of a stylized sword. Oh, I didn't get that. Because sometimes in recent years he's been wielding an axe. I forget why. Jason Aaron's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because magic was dead or something, and he needed a weapon. Yeah, and Strange had to go into space to uh, relearn magic and be worthy of magic and everything. Um, I'm glad that that was a shorter arc. Because I mean, even though I didn't read it, so I'm just kind of talking out my ass. But I, you know, I. Doctor Strange in space isn't a combination of things that really got me excited. Yeah, yeah, and it ended up being better than I thought, but because uh, Mark Wade's a really good writer, but but yeah, it didn't quite fit. Though we picked up a companion out there that's come back to Earth with them, and she's interesting. Um, last issue ended with the Ancient One showing up on Doctor Strange's doorstep, which was a huge surprise, especially for me because I didn't realize the Ancient One was alive again. Um, he just did that thing where he looked at me like, I know who the ancient one is. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Dr. Strange's mentor. Mm. He taught him. Mm. Taught him everything he knows. And You're my ancient one. Oh. <laughs> Shucks. You yep. old, old man. <laughs> you 36-year-old man. Uh, listen up, sonny. I'm going to be older than you in six years. Wow. I'm just going to keep getting younger. It's amazing. <laughs> it's part of the spell. Oh. Um. And this, this was beautifully drawn, uh, uh, how the ancient man's recounting how he ended up here because he was – he had uh, he had died, but Strange doesn't refer to it that way, as um, he had evolved to the astral plane. Mm. And then Strange asks, oh, so you're immortal again. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, the ancient one tells him that not by choice that somebody – he was enjoying traveling the astral plane, you know, just looking out on the universe and stuff. And somebody reached into the astral plane – physically grabbed him and pulled him out. And once he was pulled out, there's this other creature shows up, uh, Funiculus, these great names, with these surgical instruments and removes, against his will, removes the Ancient One's uh, knowledge of magic. Whoa. And it really weakens him. Plus, now that he's mortal again, because he's the Ancient One, he's been alive for like 500 centuries or something, he starts dying because his body just starts giving out. Shows up on Doctor Strange's doorstep, Strange... Hits him with a spell to sustain him for a couple more days while Strange gets out all his tomes. And they start studying magic and he starts teaching his teacher, hmm. trying to teach him magic spells so they can they can keep him alive. That's cool. And it's really – it's interesting hearing Stephen's monologue here um, because his frustration because he doesn't have near the patience the ancient one did teaching Stephen. And Stephen's trying to teach him and he's getting frustrated because simple spells – the Ancient One just can't grasp. And the coolest idea, they finally get the Ancient One sustained and Strange is able to go in the astral plane, find, track down this person that 
uh, assaulted, um, his mentor, and he ends up in this realm that's basically it's uh, an accounting firm <laughs> for magic. <laughs> and and it turns out – and all along this strange series that's been – uh, Jason Ayer has been pointing out that you know ma- there's always a cost for magic. There's mm-hmm. always a price when you, and especially when you call on somebody like the Fall Team or, or Sidorak or something, you're actually they're lending you some of their power for your spell to work and for you to do whatever you need to do. And this magic accountant basically tells Stephen, you know, you've been doing this for years, and you owe a huge debt to all these magical beings, these deities, and everything, and you never pay. You're in big trouble. You got to pay this off, um, and it's become. And some of them, they've demanded that you pay. And if you don't pay up, we're going to take the earth. Hmm. <laughs> and they've got Strange's three of his uh, companions here: Wong and the woman from outer space, and Zelma, his latest uh, human um, student, captive here. And of course, Strange gets in a fight with the guy, and he doesn't. He doesn't believe that this is the way it should work. That oh, come on, I don't owe anybody anything, and blah blah blah. So they get in a big old fight, physical and everything, and he frees his friends. Um, and they talk about uh, power being borrowed. Oh, I already said that part. Oh, and the accountant says, you know, I've been working on your behalf. I've been preventing them from, like, collecting the earth or whatever. And that's what I've been trying to tell you. And then the fall team, the representative is Dormammu, one of Strange's oldest foes. Mm-hmm. To die my Steve Ditko. And he's the one that has been wanting, demanding that Strange, like, pay up. And Strange's like, okay, well, we can we can figure this out or something. And it turns out it's too late. Why the Strange has been in here, the other members of the Fall Team, which is Dormammu's mystical race, they're on Earth and they're destroying things. They're they're destroying things to uh, collect the debt that Strange owes them for the magic. Man, I think that a couple things. I, I, I think it's interesting that there's been an increase in the representation of magic as a thing that can be taken. Like that was a like a, a, a construct. Yeah. And I don't love it. Jason Aaron, who's one of my favorite writers, brought that up in his run that like magic was lost and Wade's doing that a bit here as well with like he lost it or like this alien was able to like take it from the ancient one. And I don't know that that's my favorite representation of magic, but but it's fine. But, you know, I, I like it as, an, as a, uh, an idea or something that you're in contact with and not necessarily a thing that you have. Uh, yeah. I like the idea that, that it's – That is that it's like w- w- all those great names that Stanley and Steve Ditko came mm-hmm. up with. That all that you're borrowing power well, from I, them. I, I like that. I really like that as well, yeah. and I love the idea of this debt needing to be paid. Yeah, yeah, I like the idea that that you can take advantage of that and abuse it. Yeah, because that implies that well, if you do it right, though, it's not a problem. Right, or if you find a way to reciprocate. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, recipro- reciprocate. Yeah, but I sure wish that they didn't just want to, as a way of punishing him, take Earth. Mm. Like, that's not, like, that's not the... Mark Wade. that's a very cool idea, and then the consequences is a very sort of, like, oh, okay. that's too easy. Yeah, like, what do you want with her? Like, yeah, exactly, it's too easy. Do a a thing that is, you know, uh, 
relative to a god or, you know, these gods, a, a punishment that is reflective of their power and their, you know, space. Yeah, I'd like to see, like, I think in, like, I don't know, Marvel premiere in the 70s, the Stephen Strange, the Doctor Strange stories in there, there I'd like to see this be more mystical or strange. It's like, well, okay, assuming I've messed up, then let's, you know, go on the astral plane and figure this out and, and talk about the uses of mysticism and magic and reciprocation and and all of that. Yeah. Not just another invasion of Earth. Oh, we're going to take Earth? Like, why is Earth so fucking valuable? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you give it? But I have to admit, the Faltine people... Oh, yeah, they're so they cool They look looking. really cool. Oh, Dormammu is so I mean, I mean, they're definitely going riffing on Steve Ditko's designs here, and it's awesome. Um, I will give it a... I'd give it a... I'll give it a seven. There were some other stories in here that were cute. I like the nightmare story in the back. Oh, and I really like the art on this story where it's dealing with Steven when he was first a member of, uh, or first going to the H-14 training. Mm. But yeah. Oh, overall, was that Kevin Nolan? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it is. Mm. Yeah. I'll give, I'll give it a 7.5. Okay. Um, yeah, and there's some nice. No, I do wish they, and I understand now, I understand, okay, this is why his costume the way it is. It's symbolic, blah, blah, blah. But I really wish they'd give, give him back his old costume. That giant awesome tunic and stuff for yeah. sure. Um, I would like to talk for a second about uh, Action Comics 1007. This is interesting because this is Bendis and Steve Epting on art. I don't know if oh. Steve Epting and Brian Bendis have ever worked together. And I think it worked pretty well for it altogether. But uh, I prefer the other artists who have been on this book before. This issue is largely divided into three different sections. The first section is Jimmy Olsen on a date with this girl, and we don't really know. She seems really into him. He seems kind of into her, and she's taken to this place like, hey, I just want you to stay (laughs) till the end. Don't judge it till you get there. I know it's going to seem weird. He's like, is that drums coming? And it it sounds like... You know, she's taken to this concert of music that you know he's not going to like. And they open it up, and it's actually this Serpent Society, <laughs> uh, like, clan rally, basically. That, that cra- yeah, it's Cobra. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he starts taking pictures, and even, like, everybody, including her, like, turns on him, and he runs out, you know, to get out of there, and he gets on his bike, and he he's taking a couple other pictures, and this giant white void opens up and blows up the space. And he's just sort of standing there taking a picture. So he's got some good photos from that. But we have no idea what happened. Uh, Cut to the Daily Planet. But more interestingly, and my favorite portion of the book is the middle third, which is Lois Lane meeting her father to have a conversation. It's been a while since they've talked and they address, like, the love that they have for each other, but the competitive and difficult relationship that they have and that she is hard to get really close to and and trust people because he's really hard to let people in and to trust them. And uh, he, she starts telling him and and it's motivated probably by the fact that his grandson has showed up and has aged several years, but Mm -hmm. we haven't seen that in this book. But she's telling him that I should have told you this a long time ago, but I've, you know, I've, I've been in love with somebody for all of these years, and he's amazing. He understands me, and he appreciates me, and I love him, uh, and, and it's Superman. And Superman is the father of my son. And she doesn't say Clark is Superman. Mm-hmm. So there's almost this, like, you know, maybe he thinks that she's been cheating on Clark, and Clark's not John's father. That's not strictly addressed. Uh, and, and he's, you know, she says like, isn't this, you know, what a father wants to hear his whole life is that like, there's an amazing man who is compassionate and loves her endlessly and that she feels safe with. 
And and he says, Lois, is this for real? And she says, yes. And he just walks off and she starts crying. But it was just a really, I guess the bulk of their conversation is just a single double page spread with a lot of text on it. But again, I think Bendis writes a lot of text better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Like he, it's so give and take and there's such a flow to it. It never feels exposition. It feels like humans talking. And I think he's doing it better in these two Superman books than he's done it in you know, the last five years. I think he's he's doing, uh, you know, I don't I don't necessarily want to say the work of his career, but it's up there for me. It's it's you know some of my favorite business I've ever read. And the final third is Superman flying around, and everyone's loving him, and there's a great perspective from or a shot from his perspective of somebody falling and he hears them and he flies to them and like the way that motion fall like pr- progresses over these six horizontal panels that are an entire page like it slows down at one point for him to assess the situation and then things start blurring again and he gets up to it and this person falling it turns out is Amanda Waller and something's going on and she was thrown out of this building and he goes up to investigate who threw her out and then that portion of the building is swallowed by another one of those blue voids like the Cobra society that sounds like G.I. Joe um, (laughs) was swallowed by. And it was a really, for me, I really liked this issue. I mostly liked it because of the character work with Lois Lane and her father, Lois Lane, I think is a tricky character to write. She's very like dogmatic, but you, I think that she's unfortunately been represented pretty one-dimensionally a lot of the time. I think what her role in Heroes in Crisis is very awesome, but uh, I don't want to say easy, but it's almost one-dimensional. Like she's a reporter, so she feels morally obligated to tell this story to the world. Yeah, And I think that she's often represented that way as a sort of one-dimensional character. And and this made her multidimensional to me. It, it made me think about, you know, she said, like, I've been thinking a lot about my family and my relationship and my role in it and, and the difficulty of her relationship with her father. And I felt how much she loves Superman in this issue. And that's a thing I've always sort of been like, does she love Superman? Does she love Clark? Does she view them as the same? Like, what is all this? And and that's a really tricky dichotomy to represent, I think, in an intelligent and meaningful way. And it's just, it's laid out in a really great way here. So if you're interested in Lois Lane and, you know, her father and, and sort of moving that story forward and where John's going to fit into that. And it's also a big thing for her to be telling her dad that yeah. she's in with Superman. Yeah, because her father doesn't like Superman. Right. He's worked before to capture the alien and he's worked to, you know, he's worked with Lex Luthor to capture Superman and and uh, solve that threat. And... um. Roman, you had mentioned to me before I read this that you were like, yeah, it feels a little bit like a Bendis sort of connective issue. And I, it, it does to some extent. But in a good way. <laughs> yeah, in a good way. And what really impressed me about this was, it, was that it just seems like he has so much to say and such a huge story that he wants to tell that he needs issues like this to get some of these very important, meaningful moments out there because there's a bigger thing going on. And I, I'm... I'm really impressed with that, and uh, Action and Superman are just two of my favorite, favorite books coming out right now. So I would give this issue a nine. Uh, I, I really dug it. Uh, yeah, I would give it uh, – you know, I think I'll give it a nine too because in retrospect, and, and like the scene with Lois and her dad, um, 
that felt so real. It also shows how much she loves her dad because she wants her dad to know that she's with this amazing person. She wants her dad to, you know, like she says, to feel fulfilled as a father. You want to see your child with someone amazing that treats them wonderfully. Um, and the fact that her dad is just like, really? And just walks away from her without a word. I mean, yeah. God, that, I mean, that's the worst thing that you want your parent to react, and that's what he does. Yeah, and there's yeah such vulnerability and, and such consequence there that is all, you know, sort of implies. And I think that a thing that comics can do better than anything is use silence and static imagery to convey these long moments. And, yeah. You know, Bendis is very, very good at that. Yeah, the fact he does that plus a little nod to, to continuity geeks like me that, that he brought back – I love the fact that Cobra is a major cult player in the, the background of the DC universe again because they used to be in the 70s. Sure, <laughs> and then, sure. And then they disappeared for like 30 years and now they're back. And that's just <laughs> – yeah, Bendis has been doing that this whole time just nodding to yeah. DC history like, hey, I've been reading this all along too. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not just Marvel's guy. And, it, and it's funny the way it's revealed how – Jimmy, you think there's just at some yeah. rock concert, and it turns out his new girl is a cultist. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rowan, what do you think about uh, taking a step into the old buckshot corner? Ooh, let's let's do some buckies. Some All bucky right. Shots. Okay. Um, <laughs> Django, Django. <laughs> um, do you want to go first, or should I go first? Um, I, I, should we flip a coin? I don't care. Oh, that would be such tense radio. Do How we, about we rock we... paper scissors for it uh, on three? Okay. Best best out of one. You have to do this thing, right? Oh, God. Oh. You're... <laughs> all right, we fucked that up, so I'm going to go first. <laughs> um, all right, first I want to talk uh, for a second about Marvel Knights number 6 by Donny Cates and Kim Jacinto and Travel Foreman. This is the final issue of the Marvel Knights six-issue miniseries that had rotating artists and writers on it. And it's dissol- you know, exposes the mystery of what happened in this Marvel Knights story, why all these people's memories was forgotten. And... Uh, it was it was pretty good. It was a good landing on it. Basically, it's very Matrix Reloaded in that they get to the center of this building where this machine is, and the sentry is sitting there. And what they realize is that they had set up this situation to have everybody forget uh, reality because they got a vision of the future that said they were going to destroy it. And so they come here to figure that out, and they're like, well, we're going to kick your ass. And then what they discover is that this is actually the seventh time that they've been here in the same way that Neo always finds his way to that room with the guy in the white suit. Mm. Uh, and it just ends in a really positive way where they uh, they choose to set reality back and not go back to sleep, essentially. And there's just a really sort of powerful superhero ending. Mm. And it's good. And I think that we'll revisit these characters and it, it, it yeah, I liked it. Mm. Um, I'm going to talk about Age of X-Men Alpha number one. This was written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, and the artist was Ramon Rosanas. I didn't have high hopes for this. I have five seconds to talk about it, so it was pretty good. The art especially was pretty good. It sets up a really cool alternate reality X-Men story, and I was ready to not read any of it because we just had that weekly series, and uh, and I actually now I want to. Um the art, I can't stress enough, is, is really pretty. It's kind of David Aja and Jamie McKelvey, flat colors, even hints of the Martin Marazzo from Ice Cream Man in it. Yeah, it's nice nice art. I like that. Yeah, it's got a good it's got a good hook on it, you know? Um sort of a totalitarian uh X Men government where it's just X Men there and it, you know, it's 
it's working out for him, but also secretly not working out for him. The artist does cool things with Nightcrawler's tail. I just like when Nightcrawler's got his tails. Like, because if I had a tail, yeah, I'd be, you know, casually, like, kind of twisting it around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think that the art was better than the writing, and I think the plot of the writing is good, but I think some of the dialogue is not good. The the, the Nightcrawler dialogue is a little heavy-handed with the German mm-hmm. accent. But I would give... Uh, Ach, du Lieber. Exactly. I would give Marvel Knights number six... Uh, an eight, and I would give no. I'd give it an eight point five, and I'd give the miniseries as a whole uh, an eight, seven point five to an eight. Um, and then Age of X Men Alpha number one, I would give uh, seven point five as well. It it was good, and it was a good starting point that had very clearly indicated which of these six miniseries, uh, the portions of the activities that were going on, uh, were going to be followed up in those series. Mm, and there's cool. a lot of different corners of this world that are worth inspecting. Roman, do you want on your own joke goof filled 90 <laughs> seconds? Because you've got it. Ah, Star Trek, the next generation IDW 2020 one shot. Um, by the usual people, I'll write to start. Oh, actually, it's Peter David wrote this. I didn't realize that. This was a cool issue. It's it's one shot story. It's about Picard, young Picard, when he's um, the captain of the USS Stargazer. And this is a story about. Among other things, the first time him and Beverly Crusher met, and because of the Stargazer, one of the crew members is the man that she marries. Um, I forget his name. Last name's Crusher. That's how she got the name. And it's just a story about it really shows Picard's uh, kind of some of his faults because he beams down to this planet, gets in trouble. You know, the male Crusher tries to convince him, you shouldn't go down. You're captain now. You should stay here. I should go down. You shouldn't endanger yourself. But of course, Picard pulls a Kirk. It's like, nope, I'm going. Goes down, gets in trouble, gets in this political situation, gets shot um, and held captive by the, by the natives of the planet. They start negotiating with the Trek crew. Um, and they, one, of the, one of the things they say is, don't send any crew members down here. So um, the dude sends his fiancee, Beverly Crusher, down the planet because she's not a crew member as Picard had had mm-hmm. very strongly pointed out to her and arrogantly. And so she goes down. They have some great conversations. She saves his life because she's a doctor. Um, she points out to him very strongly how, you know, his arrogance and the faults in that and that kind of thing. And he listens. Um, and she saves them both. And they go back and and Picard actually, we didn't know. I don't think we knew this. He performs the wedding service and marries mm. the two of them. It was just a great st- a great Star Trek story. It really got into the characterizations of Beverly and and Picard and revealed some things I didn't know. I don't think that had been revealed before. The art is also gorgeous. There's a yeah. real Alex Ross thing going on there. Yeah, and the artist did a really good job of capturing the look Picard of, with hair of the yeah, well of these actors without it being. You know, feeling like a caricature. Yeah, like a Greg Land photo reference yeah. or like uh, uh, some of the LaRocca stuff in Star Wars, which gives yeah. me... Yeah, I mean, I mean, it really looks like yeah. that. And, I, and because of that, I actually heard the actors' voices, which I don't always when it's a... Well, like this other Star Trek, number one we got this week, the Q Conflict, which is a regular miniseries. It was okay. The art isn't 
great. I didn't care for the art. Well, it's worth mentioning that this one that you just talked about, uh, the art in that is the same artist who's been doing that Mirror Broken stuff, the two Mirror Broken miniseries. J.K. Woodward. And it's gorgeous. And I I love that they've got their foot so firmly in the door of the Star Trek stuff, but I think that they would also be great at some other comic work. They would. I, I would like to see them on other properties. Hey, you were going to talk briefly about the Justice League. Oh, Could you right. even more briefly sure. toss a second because um, you love a source wall story. This Star Trek, I'll, uh, IDW 2020, I'll give uh, that a – I'll give it a 9. Nice. That's a lot of fun. Maybe a 9.5. Whoa. Justice League annual <laughs> number one by uh, Scott Snyder and uh, James Tinney and the fourth um, – the main thing I just want to say, it's really interesting how unless it's like Grant Morrison or uh, Marv Wolfman, somebody like that, I just feel like DC just – they should stick more to the lower the, – I don't know, the the personal story. They shouldn't do cosmic stuff quite as much or Kirby. Kirby could do it at DC. He created it. I mean like yeah. look at all these yeah, visual references that are nods to it. Yeah, but – I mean, this is big, huge cosmic things happen in this issue that have been uh, based in no justice and metal. Mm-hmm. And things kind of come to a head even more in here and just huge cosmic things happen that that should be really cool. And I found myself more than once kind of like getting kind of bored. I was like, this shouldn't be boring. I mean, and they brought back old obscure characters that I like and there's the – the Omega Titans and all this and huge stuff happens with the Source Wall and and uh, the Legion of Doom and a Hawkwoman and the Spectres. I mean, everybody's in here. The Green Lantern Corps. I mean, they screw things up badly. I mean, huge stuff happens and it just kind of feels kind of flat. Yeah. Um, I love Scott Snyder. He's a writer that was really getting me into comics as I was getting into him as an adult, but it uh, – Kind of flat is how I would describe his work for the last year and year or two. Yeah, and so, and a lot of the stuff I was like, you know, if this, and you don't want that to happen when you're reading one writer's story and thinking, boy, this would be so much better if Grant Morrison or Jonathan Hickman or Jack yeah. Kirby was doing it. But is the source ball always been represented visually this way, like with these giant heads on it and these sort of yeah. Kirby lines and stuff? Yeah. Well, not this. This is something the Green Lantern Corps has created to try and patch oh, okay. the, the hole. But it's always been a wall with these giant these giants stuck to it with the beams coming out of their eyes. Hmm. Did Kirby ever go beyond the source wall? No, no. And that's the big problem now is the source wall has a hole in it. They get the Omega Titans, turns out, are part of the first line of defense for the galaxy to protect the unit, the multiverse for whatever's behind the source wall. So using the Justice League's help and that Starman, they plug – they graft some of the Omega Titans onto here to try and stop and, the, and they cooperate because that's their purpose. So hmm. some cool ideas. Yeah, they're cool ideas, but they also just sound like someone trying to think bigger. Yeah. It doesn't feel like natural big thoughts. It feels hmm. like I need to right. make a big – I don't know. There's something – Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. So what do you give it? Ah, oh, boy. <laughs> it was – Potentially an eight, but in execution, I would say, I don't know, a five. Mm, bum deal. Yeah. The art wasn't terrible in it. Yeah, I kind of feel like Marvel should stick to the big cosmic stuff. DC stick to. Unless they can bring <laughs> Kirby back. Yeah. 
Um, well, let's end this podcast with a conversation of endings in the form of Exiles number 12 by Saladin Ahmed. Um, Saladin Ahmed and oh, Javier I d- I even, Rodriguez. I didn't even notice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have read one third of this series. This is the fourth issue of 12 that I read. This is the final issue. You've read all of it. I've read all of it. It's been, it's, speaking of big, you know, cosmic Marvel stuff, I mean, this is such a fun series. There's been. And speaking the, of cosmic Kirby stuff. Yeah. The endless. Uh, uh, yeah, the first. Or the unseen, rather, <laughs> is just stuck in this Kirby prison. Yeah, this first page. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Kirby, it's like a, it's kind of like a Kirby Ditko combination yeah. design. <laughs> it's really cool. The unseen is very, yeah, Ditko, you're right. Yeah. Um. There's been plenty of sad moments in the series, but for the most part, it's just good old-fashioned Marvel crazy ideas and wild characters and these on this big, huge, wild adventure. I mean, when they first announced that uh, Little Wolvie or whatever his name is was going to be in this the chibi version of Wolverine or whatever it is, I thought, oh my god, that's stupid. How's that going to so work? Cute, adorable. And, and it's it's worked so well. Yeah, I mean, he's on a team with. The Valkyrie from the Thor movies, and it's just, it just works. Uh, it's going to be a shame to not see these characters anymore. They go on their big final adventure to fight these rogue watchers. Um, the art is amazing because there's some big pages that are just each character, like the T'Challa from that other world, and kind of his history encapsulated within the framework of his body. And they do that with each character. Oh, God. Yeah, there's every character gets put into sort of a, a dying, broken reality from which they come from. And the way that that's represented is by single full page spreads of each character like in pain, but all of the panels take place within the silhouette of their body. It is very effective comic booking. Yeah, yeah. And each of them, each of their stories encapsulated in their body is like their worst, not necessarily what they came from, but their worst. The Becky Barnes one was so fi- brutal. Yeah, yeah, jeez. Um, whoo. <laughs> And even, and even in a way, it was funny, but it was also very kind of brutal, the little wolvy one, because oh, his yeah. fear is he's, he's in this, it's the X-Men from the 90s cartoon, and little wolf, I think, and little wolvy is like, ah, everyone's so loud and so mean. <laughs> but I do like the music, which is a reference yeah. to that awesome theme song. <laughs> oh, boy. Did you uh, feel like this was a good ending for it? Like, it's a bummer that it had to end, but uh, Salad and Ahmed said is at the end, like, you yeah. know, we... No one was surprised that this was only 12 issues and they got to tell the story they wanted and he was really pumped that he he and Javier uh, Rodriguez created these characters and they're now – they're going to live forever in, in this reality, but it yeah. is over. Well, except for Iron Lad. Apparently right. he's, he's gone. But, <laughs> but yeah, I thought I thought it was a it was a fine ending, you know, good ending for this series. I'm going to miss these characters, but, you know, Saladin Solid, Ahmed is doing so many other titles and, you know, I don't – I understand <laughs> uh, for that level why he's not going to continue with this. Um, and it was good. I mean, it, I mean, you could always, we can always see the Exiles again. Mm-hmm. Probably won't be him writing it, I would imagine, but they're going to be around. It's not, they're not gone forever. So it was fine. And I def- he's a wonderful writer. He is. He is. And I really like the fact that he included uh, just his final farewell piece in the back, he included two of his favorite pages of the art. From I thought the that was sweet too. I would have loved more pages because it is worth mentioning that 
the art in this series, and Javier Rodriguez did not do all of it, but it is amazing. There are incredible pieces of art in this series. Yeah. The paneling is fantastic. The, it's cartoony, but not too cartoony. The colors are brilliant. The, the, like the paneling is just outstanding. There's a 25-panel page in this, and it uh, doesn't doesn't feel laborious at all. It's it's really great. Every page in this is a joy to look at. Yeah, you know, and like this series, um, the Mr. Miracle series, there's things happening with art and comics nowadays that I mean, it's easy to say this probably for anybody in any, any decade, but I really feel like there's stuff going on artistically in comics now that are maybe as innovative as, you know, the stuff like Storanko and people started doing in the late 60s, early 70s at Marvel and with some of the underground comics and, and stuff. And there's, yeah, you're right. And there's such strong differences. Like, this is very unique. But Mitch Garage, like you said, is really unique yeah. and very different from this. And then, you know, you got like you, Frazier Irvings and you have just like all these different people doing art that is... Yeah, um, so different. Yeah, the artist on Monst- Monstrous. Yeah, I mean, Sana Takeda. Yeah. Uh, just really, yeah, you're right. There is, I think we are in a bit of an artistic renaissance. Um, and, of course, the writing is also fantastic. But we are seeing people be allowed to do things that uh, is, is unlike many, many things. And it's a, a joy to look at. And it's a joy to get to to read comics every week and see just people push what you can do with, you know, this type of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. And on all levels. I mean, I'm also been trying to learn, read more mangas and learn about manga. And and there's stuff artistically in there that I'm, I'll go from like Exiles to reading uh, uh, Girl from the Other Side, Volume 2 I just read. And I'm just like, wow, this, <laughs> this is such amazing stuff. Man, I, uh, I... Manga is such an interesting beast. I, I love it, but it's so different in the way that I read it. It's so yeah. much quicker. Like I don't spend as much time on panels, and it's it's black and white, and it's meant to be produced, you know, not mint, but like it, it was naturally produced in weekly, you know, mm. Shonen Gems and weekly yeah. magazines. So uh, you know, like seven pages every week or something like that, and it's black and white, and it's 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 just quicker. It's naturally quicker and um, and kinetic and. It, you read it in a totally different way. I think it's astounding. Yeah. Have you read Akira? No, I haven't. Okay. I need That's, to. I love that you've been getting excited about manga, and I, Ashton would be the first to tell you, but I'm going to be. Uh, it's, I would love for your thoughts on Akira, and I would love to read it at mm. the same time as you. I would love to do a reread while, while yeah. you're reading that, because it's so, it's really, it's talked about for a reason. Yeah. yeah, I need to read that. I, I, I kind of wish I could read the. I know, I know they don't. They're impossible to find. But the color issues, I want to read it. In color, I have but. all but six of them. You're welcome to read them. All but six. How many are there? Thirty nine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always think of just the volumes, the collected volumes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you do have to read it slower though. I, there was a panel in uh, Girl from the Other Side last night where I had to. I had to. I was. I was reading quickly. Like you say, but I had to go back. I had to stop on this one panel because I couldn't figure out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because it was badly drawn or anything. It was because it was such a forced perspective, unexpectedly, of one of, like the main one of the main characters of their foot and the reflection in like a puddle. 
but only part of a reflection. And, and it took me forever to figure out, oh, and then I was really impressed because <laughs> I was like, holy crap, that's an incredible detail. <laughs> I would love to, yeah, talk a little bit more about manga and uh, you getting excited about reading stuff in the, in the manga world is only getting me more excited about it. So there's so many things I want to read and not quite enough time to do it. So yeah. you spend all of your time on the phone with insurance people trying to get car crashes <laughs> uh, organized. But what do you give Exiles number 12 and what do you give the Ooh. series? I'll give the series a 10. And uh, number two. <laughs> Roman Dong. And number 12, uh, boy. I think I'll also give this a 10. And there was just so many perfect little things in it. Even even now, I'm noticing on the cover, there's multiple Earths behind the Exiles logo, mm. which that's that hasn't been on the lo- previous logos. Hmm. <laughs> um, I give this issue uh, an... 8.5, and I don't feel like I'm qualified to give the series a rating, but I've, I've enjoyed each of those issues about that much. It's not exactly the type of story that I super want to read, but it it gets close there. Yeah. It's Saladin Ahmed does. I really like the endless or the unseen and the multiple worlds stuff. It gets a little bit nitty gritty down into some characters and some character dynamics I don't care a ton about, but uh, the art is phenomenal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to miss Valkyrie and Becky's re- growing relationship. That's been yeah. really fun. I know. Uh, I know. I thought, I guess I assumed like Becky and uh, is Peggy Carter is is that Captain America, right? Yeah. 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 I, I guess I just assumed they were in a relationship. But no, in this one I was like, oh, no, it's it's like, yeah, Becky and Valkyrie. And that's awesome. I know Rome, or Braden really liked the series as well. And he's such a wonderful soul. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, and that's been and that's been great too. That they didn't do the obvious thing, right? Like making Becky, who's that world's Bucky, analog, uh, her, her, and Cap, yeah. uh, that kind of relationship. They're still best friends and mentor and everything, but not romantically involved. It's yeah, like, cool. Because when they first showed up, I thought, oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's because we would love to see Steve and and Bucky Barnes together. That's a hot relationship right there, Roman. Yeah. Yeah. I would watch an adult version of that comic. <laughs> um, well, hey, thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. I guess that sort of brings us to a close this week. I think so. Um, yeah. Thanks for hanging out for the, the two of us. This is sort of what it used to be like working at the store, and it's Just fun. The two of us. Yeah. We can make it if we try. Admittedly, fewer goofs, but <laughs> uh, two people who really like being around each other and talking. And uh, yeah, Roman, I wouldn't work at this store if it weren't for you. So I'm grateful for you every single day. Well, I wouldn't work at this store if it weren't for you. <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> um, if you want to get a hold of us, we would love that. Our phone number is 1619. 1619- Six six three seven three three six. If you have questions, if you have suggestions, if you have your own feelings or reviews about stuff, we would love to hear it. Please don't be shy. Roman and I just sat down here, the two of us, and talked for an hour and a half. So, you know, anybody, uh, a degree of vulnerability is required for forward movement and all of this stuff. 
Uh, they have challenges for us. Yeah, challenges, story prompts. Challenges. We like all that stuff. <laughs> um, I hope that you guys have been enjoying the new music on the podcast. We'll get a SoundCloud up for that stuff at some point here, but that's been fun. Uh, we're still working on finding a sort of go-to theme, but I hope that everyone just kind of enjoys rolling through a variety of sort of changing music in the intro and outro stuff until we get that locked on. A Goku theme? Uh, did I say that? I don't think so. I love no, Goku. I, I just, I just oh, wanted, go to Goku. I just wanted to slip in my very first ever Dragon Ball reference Roman so I could be a cool kid. <laughs> the new Dragon Ball Super movie with myself and Brayden for Brayden's <laughs> birthday, and it was awesome. It was super cool that he came. Um, I'm, gosh. I'm starting Dragon Ball now, that manga. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> you know, my favorite franchise of all time, so... Um, I hope that everyone enjoyed this. We look forward to seeing you and hearing from you and you hearing us next week when we should have all four of us back together. I imagine. Yeah, probably, yeah. I think probably, so. Probably. Yeah. Unless, you know, I'm broken alone because my car problems have taken all of my money. Well, we'll just pack this stuff all up and go to your place. That's true. Or I'll sell it to pay for the... then, we'll have, then we'll have the cats on, on air and... Oh, I love the cats. Um, We also want to get a podcast together. We had enough conversation about X-Men team lineups. There was a long conversation with Justin and uh, Django and I that was cut about our favorite. I would like to get um, our favorite six to eight ideal X-Men roster from all of the people that work here. So I'm going to work on recording, you know, five or seven minutes with everybody about that in the next couple of weeks, try and get that out there. A lot of podcasting I would like to do. And the only way that I will really make sure and get it done is if I get enough uh, feedback from all of you folks to encourage me to do it because there's a lot to get done. So please let us know. It's, you know, your thoughts and, and, and helps and your responses to things that uh, keep us doing this stuff. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I'm Jeff, and I don't know if I'll ever drive again. <laughs> You'll drive again. Get back on that horse. Oh, to the west. <laughs> yeah, just, just whatever those things. Spurs. Use the spurs. Spears. Actually, no, that's cruel. Don't use those. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm Roman. <laughs> and he doesn't believe in cruel stuff. No. <laughs> Bye, everybody. So long.